0: And the man laying there by the pool with the healing waters just out of reach, it caused me to think of people who sit in our churches every week. They listen to the gospel being proclaimed, maybe on radio or on the Internet, and yet never receiving the salvation that can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. It's just out of reach because they have no man. They need a man. And the Bible tells us that there's only one. His name is Jesus.
1: Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. All you
0: gotta do is let go and let go. Here in chapter 5, John documents the third and fourth miracles of the seven that he recorded in the Gospel of John. He only gives us seven miracles miracles that he records, and I think John was thinking these are sufficient for you to understand that Christ is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. But we also find here in our portion of scripture a significant turning point for Jesus's relationship with the religious rulers of Israel. After he healed this man on the Sabbath day who had a 38-year infirmity, Israel's religious rulers no longer just questioned Jesus's legitimacy, his right to teach and to preach. They sought to kill him, and they'll say that twice in our passage for two different reasons. One is that he healed on the Sabbath. The second reason is that he equated himself to God, claiming that he was the Son of God. So this is a turning point in the ministry of Jesus here in John chapter 5. We already know that there was conflict. It was John chapter 4, the beginning of the chapter, because they knew that Jesus baptized more disciples than John. Jesus went to the Galilee, but needed to go through Samaria first. So Jesus would at times leave the pressure cooker of Jerusalem and kind of... uh, allow things to settle, but now he's back in Jerusalem as we come into John chapter 5, and it heats up even more. So today we're going to see the marvelous works of Christ. John 5, verses 1 through 23, and in verses 1 through 9, we'll see a miraculous healing. In verses 10 through 16, a meaningful Sabbath. In verses 17 through 23, marvelous works. I'm going to go ahead and read the first point verses 1 through 9, and open us in prayer. After, the, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there And knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked and that Day was the Sabbath. And Father, we thank you for your word and for what we learned from it. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to learn about not only your marvelous works today, but that they continue to this day. And that we, Lord, would by faith have courage at your very word, that we, Lord, would be able to rise and walk in that faith and see the miraculous works of Christ. We pray in the name of Jesus amen so we find here at the pool of Bethesda Jesus is down in, uh, in Jerusalem again there's a feast of the Jews it's an unnamed feast but the males every male in Israel was required according to the law Deuteronomy 16:16 16, 16, three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses that place the temple, where sacrifices were offered at the time to the Lord. And that was the current place of choosing. When that was the tabernacle, it would move from place to place. But for many years, it had been Jerusalem. Jesus then comes down to Jerusalem for this feast in obedience to the word of God. We have to see that Jesus never went against God's word. And so he not only sinless, but he was obedient in every way. As a man. So, there by the sheep gate, it tells us, and this sheep gate we know is at the northeast side of Jerusalem, and it was the main gate by which they would bring in the animals for sacrifice. It is mentioned three times in the book of Nehemiah as well. When he's talking about rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, he would take us from gate to gate, and three times the sheep gate was mentioned there. And so nothing real significant except today we know the location of the gate and the purpose of the gate was to bring in the animals for sacrifice. They just think about livestock and coming to the city of Jerusalem. This is just pure logic. Let's not go to that gate. The animals come in through there. What happens in parades when there are animals today? They have the little scoopers coming up behind them, right? I don't know if they had that back then. But if you know there's a clean gate you can walk through and don't have to look out for the landmines, you can kind of head to a different gate perhaps. And perhaps that is a little bit of why one gate was held for this coming and going Bethesda. It's a word that means in the Hebrew house of mercy. And by this area, there was a, a pool, a reservoir. That traditionally had an angelic visitor that would come down from time to time and as we read the first one who would make it to the water after the stirring of the water would be healed whether the sick blind lame or paralyzed but it gives testimony to the miraculous work of God some commentators try to discredit this and and say well the people only thought that they would be healed but you know, I look at it and think, well, if it actually didn't work, why would people lay around there waiting for the stirring of the water unless some miracle at one time at least once had taken place? But it, it appears that more than once. So there was this pool of water, and they, to this day they uh, have this area. You can go to Israel. You can visit this area. There's a church there that... Uh, traditionally what you do is you go into the church and it's one of those gothic cathedrals that as one time christian and then muslim and then christian controlled it went back and forth and so it's not very ornate uh, under the christians it would have been ornate but muslim uh, had ruled and taken control there in jerusalem and they stripped everything so it's kind of looks like bare stone inside there but i tell you the acoustics The whole purpose of the trip when you go into this uh, house of worship there is to sing because the acoustics, it's wonderful. Even people who don't sound that well on their own, the building helps them out. But you can go and visit this site today. And again, to dismiss the angelic work, Hebrews 1.14 reminds us, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? The angels are there to watch over us, even whether we recognize it. And I would say 99.9% of the time we don't, but they're there to minister to those who will inherit salvation. The significant thing to remember for us, it's not the water that healed, nor the angel but the person's faith in God who is able to heal the sick, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, whatever the need or condition might be. Remember, Jesus said to the blind man in Mark 10, 51, go your way, your faith has made you well. And so there's a part of it too, not just the stirring of the water, but the faith of the individual. Pastor Chuck would tell a story of a lady who was given the gift of tongues. And in California, when we lived there, we actually had, um, unlike our kids out in Hawaii, they don't have a heater. They don't need one. It gets down to 55 sometimes, but it'll get up to 80 during the day. You really don't need one. Although I have to admit the Hawaiians act like it's freezing out there. They have their winter boots on and we just look and laugh. And again, you don't really know, do you? But in California, every once in a while, it's necessary for heat to kick on. And this woman was praying one day and heard a mighty and rushing wind. It was her forced air heater. (laughs) She hadn't heard it in a while. But hearing that triggered her faith. And she began to pray in tongues at that point because of the mighty and rushing wind. So not the water, sometimes it can be force air heat, but it's the faith that triggers the response. But the man gives excuses, verses five through seven, we find there was a certain man who laid there as we read 38 years. Now we know later on in verse 14, Jesus would say to him, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So we we have a connection in this man's particular case Sin caused, it seems to have caused, his illness. If that's true, for 38 years, knowing that sin had caused the condition, that had to be a miserable life. And sin does have its cost. And sometimes people live the rest of their life in the horrific price of sin, knowing that, what they had done that had caused maybe a death of someone, an injury to themselves, but they have been the cause of it. I'm not saying that all sin is connected to sickness, except for when we speak about the fall of man and general sin, well, death, sickness came at the fall, but just because someone may sin today doesn't mean that you'll be sick tomorrow. In fact, in John chapter 9, It'll be a while before we get there, but the disciples will ask Jesus, John 9, 2 and 3, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So sometimes sickness, being blind, lame, paralyzed, it's not because of a particular sin But in this case, it seems that it is connected to sin. So sometimes it can be connected to sin, sickness, illness. Other times it's not. The Bible tells us overall in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jesus, seeing the man laying there, he had already been in this condition for a long time, 38 years. He said to the man, do you want to be made well? See, he already knew that he had been in this condition for a long time. God's knowledge can be connected to his judgment. In Hebrews 4.13, it tells us that there is no creature hidden from his sight, that all things are naked and open before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. But also God's knowledge is connected to his watchful care over our lives. In Psalm 139, one through three, and it goes on beyond this, but I only picked out three verses. O Lord, you have searched me and have known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. So knowing the sins of this man, Jesus, notice he mercifully called out to the man, do you want to be made well? I want you to notice in this particular case that Jesus sought the man out. The man did not seek out Christ. He didn't even know, we'll see later on, who Jesus was. But the sick man, all he could do was offer excuses. But I want us to notice that the excuses he offered, they were legitimate You don't know how many times this man had laid in this area, could have laid there for years with the hope if I can get to the water after it stirs before someone else gets there, then I'll be made well. But he said, every time the water stirs, someone else beats me to it. Can you imagine that scene? The blind, the lame, the paralyzed, the sick all making their way to be the first one in. So his excuse was legitimate. Also that he had no man, no one to help him. So it gives another uh, scene of this man who had had this infirmity, but had to try to make it on his own. He had no man. And the man laying there by the pool with the healing waters just out of reach, it caused me to think of people who sit in our churches every week. They listen to the gospel being proclaimed, maybe on radio or on the Internet and yet never receiving the salvation that can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. It's just out of reach because they have no man. They need a man. And the Bible tells us that in First Timothy 2, 5 and 6, it says there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. There is a man. There's only one. His name is Jesus. But Jesus said to the man, Arise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed, he walked, and it was the Sabbath day. Verses 8 and 9. Again, notice the man wasn't gradually healed. At the words of Jesus, he immediately responded in faith. He took up his bed and he walked. And it just happened to be on the Sabbath day. John wanted us to note that it becomes an issue as we continue on. You know, 1 Samuel 15, 22 reminds us, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. The Lord wants our obedience. And I think sometimes the Lord comes to us and he says, Arise, or do you want to be made well, or do you want... This Or do you want that? And all we offer is excuses. And sometimes we offer legitimate excuses The Lord and we give him legitimate excuses. And Jesus said, I wasn't asking you about your excuses. I was asking you, do you want to? And you can fill in the blank. And sometimes it's the obedience of the words of Jesus taking the step of faith. We discover God's continual plan for our lives. Her obedience to God allows us to experience the marvelous works of Christ. So we discover as we move on in verses 10 through 16, a meaningful Sabbath. Verse 10 reads, the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus hath withdrawn, from, and a multitude being in that place. So Jesus slipped out, and there was a lot of people around. Verse 14, afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well, sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. So we find here in the second point, a meaningful Sabbath. For the man, it was very meaningful. He would never forget the day that Jesus spoke to him and he followed in obedience. Lord, you made me well. But for the people there, they questioned They questioned the man. Don't you realize that it's the Sabbath? And they saw this man as a lawbreaker. And we find that from this point forward, that the Jews would be constantly watching Jesus on the Sabbath. They would see the sick. Remember the man with the withered hand sitting in a synagogue. The Jews knowing that Jesus likes to heal people. They kept an eye on that situation because it was the Sabbath day. They were constantly on the hunt for lawbreakers. In Jeremiah 17, 21, Thus says the Lord, Take heed to yourself and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. And they considered the man carrying his bed as of bearing burdens. The man carrying his bed wasn't the only thing that upset them on that day, but that Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath as well. So it wasn't just about carrying a mat. You know, he wasn't hauling a queen-sized bed on his back. It was something that he could throw on the ground to lay on. It probably wasn't very much more than a, a blanket, what we might consider, but also that Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. The man with the uh, withered hand in Luke 6, 7, it says, So the scribes and Pharisees watched Jesus closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. Yet Jesus's marvelous works, they were proof. Luke 6, 5, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. So there's this initial confrontation. We'll come back to the Sabbath in the next uh, point, in point three. And the religious rulers and this healed man are separate now. Jesus, I like this, he finds the man in the temple. He's able to go to church. He's able to go worship. He went to the temple. What do you think he was doing there? I think he might have been thanking God for his healing. Remember, later on, there would be 10 people who had leprosy who would be healed and only one would return to thank Jesus and Jesus would say to the one where are the other nine and that's how it is so often in life that there are people who find themselves in difficulties and struggles and they cry out to Jesus and he gets them out of the issue and then they quickly forget the one who saved so I think it's significant that we find this man in the temple When Jesus found him there, he said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing should come upon you. And so here we had, as I said earlier, a connection to this man's sin and his illness by the words of Jesus. So the ideal is to strive for holiness, sinlessness. But in reality, we are all sinners in need of a savior. In 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins, a covering for our sins. Jesus Christ, the mercy seat, he comes between us and his father. He's taken the price of our sin, not just coming between us, but he has bore our sins. And it's through the blood of Jesus Christ that sinners find mercy and forgiveness. As it says in 1 John 1, 7, for the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And there is no better advocate than Jesus. No other propitiation or covering than the blood of Jesus. No other way to heaven. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. There's no other way. And it's not by our good works as well. It's not trying to combine our good works with the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that saves. And then we strive to walk in holiness. We strive to walk in fellowship with God. We strive to do what is right because we have been saved. The Lord continues to offer salvation to all who believe in him greater works, and the greatest work is life itself, and not just physical life, but spiritual life through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the word that you have given us today, and I pray, Lord, that we would take courage from it today, whether it's a need of healing or, Lord, a command to step out in faith. Help us, Lord, to walk according to your word, Lord, that we might know the wonderful works that you have for us, this day we pray in the name of Jesus, Amen.
1: Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at eight four seven. 2650646 that's 8472650646 thank you so much for joining us today and may the lord richly bless you as you worship him today